Thanks for listening to the Guns on Pegs podcast. The Guns on Pegs podcast is brought to you by ITAP Group. We hope you enjoyed the show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Guns on Pegs podcast. I think this is episode five. If you have joined us before, welcome back. If this is your first time, you're in for a treat. We've got a slightly different format to the last couple of episodes today. But as usual, I am joined by Chris. How's it going, Chris? I'm good, thanks, George. Yeah, very good. Looking forward to this one. Always enjoy doing this on a Friday afternoon. Excellent. And back for his second podcast is Digby. Afternoon, Diggers. Hi, George. And joining us for the first time is Frank. Frank, do you want to just tell everybody what your role is at Guns on Pegs and who you are? Sure thing, yeah. Afternoon, boys. So I'm Frank Stevenson. Been at Guns on Pegs for just over five years now, and I'm the Director of Sales. Um, so look after the brand partnerships um, ahead of everything else. So get, I'm fortunate enough to get to work alongside all the top brands in the shooting industry and beyond in uh, in the UK. Um, and yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell, really. Excellent. Well, I think we'll crack straight on. The most popular part of the podcast with listeners and the team is what's that you're drinking? So I think we've got some good ones today. Who would like to go first? Frank, you go first. It's your first time. Sure. Um, so today I've got a St. Peter's Cream Stout. St. Peter's are a local brewery to me in Suffolk. Stout. I've become somewhat of a stoutaholic since the start of the uh, the lockdown. <laughs> Quite obsessive craft beers as well. It, it's getting a bit out of hand. I've got <laughs> apps and everything. But yeah, usually, I mean, I'm a big Adnams fan. Um, I have to put that out there. And Blackshaw is is a fantastic stout. But um, Cream Stout is accessible. I mean, finding Blackshaw at the moment in Suffolk is a bit like trying to find rocking horse poo. <laughs> Worth its weight in gold. So yeah, Cream Stout does what it says on the tin. Coffee and vanilla notes. Chocolatey taste. It's... It's it's punchy at six and a half percent, so I can't have too many. Otherwise, I'll uh, well, God knows what I'll do. <laughs> is this is this one you've got it in off your subscription thing you've been doing? Frank? It's not actually no. I I mean I, I have to admit I drank all of those on the first night. <laughs> I got quite excited, as I say, about the, the old craft beers. But this it, it sounds quite cool though. Yeah. So the subscription is a company called Beer Fifty Two, and you have a choice of. Uh, light or dark light being kind of lighter craft beers dark also containing sort of ruby beers and stouts and you choose it and you can choose between six and eight beers i think a month uh, and they send out a little magazine which gives you a description of each microbrewery that that, that um, brews the craft beer and alongside that as i said i've even got apps i've got the untapped app which for those out there who have got Vivino is basically the Vivino of beer. So it's a reviewing and, and rating system for beer. So all in all, got quite obsessed with my home drinking. <laughs> it sounds <laughs> like it. You're giving off the wrong vibe, aren't you? You just It's not fair to myself because I don't drink Monday to Thursday. Being quite quite disciplined. Yeah, same. Yeah. <laughs> No, I just I, it has always worried me that this section of the podcast, which we love, obviously, maybe paints a slightly unrealistic picture of how much we all drink particularly as chris and george are doing it every week so have to think of a new <laughs> drink and why it's special to them and the you know another experience they've had drinking this particular drink or- you're gonna love my one this week yeah. I, I, I think it's the best one yeah go on chris okay so do you want to go now or should we have diggers first and then you go <sighs> yeah go on diggers diggers i think no, no diggers set the bar he's gonna raise it on frank 
Not particularly, I'm afraid. I mean, last time I was on, I had my homemade cider. Um, this time I've got, which I drink quite a lot of. This time I've got something which I very basically drink absolutely none of. Um, I'm staying at my parents' farm in Cornwall at the minute. And ever since I was a child, there's been a bottle of creme de menthe in the back, <laughs> of, the back of the drinks cabinet. Tell me you've mixed it with Baileys. <laughs> you, you've probably never even heard of that, have you, Digby? No. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to say, I think this dates me a little bit uh, in, in terms of uh, being younger than the rest of the team. You <laughs> Hold on, can I just put something in perspective here? It's 20 past four on a Friday and you've got a creme de menthe on the go. <laughs> I, I'm going to say, I've got no idea what it is and I never heard of it until I saw it in the drinks cabinet. <laughs> It's been there since I was like six or seven, I'm sure. And my parents sort of laugh about it, say, oh, Sticky Green. We remember when we used to drink Sticky Green after, a, you know, at the end of a night. And uh, so I decided to give it a try after a shoot day. What was it? Probably three or four years ago with a friend. And every time he comes back now, we always have a, a, a drop. And the bottle's slowly going down, but it's still about half full. So I've got a little bit of that because it, it reminds me of, um, of fun evenings after after day shooting at home. So um, that's the reason for it. But I think I think... You have to be of a certain age to know what sticky green is. Is that right? So I, I don't know what sticky green is necessarily, but if you, uh, I think, I think it could be. Well, basically, uh, creme de month. When when I was a lot younger and a bit more, but certainly a lot younger than you are now as well. The worst thing you could do is mix it with Bailey's and then spin each other around <laughs> on an office chair. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is guaranteed to make you throw up. So there you go. That was a that was a sort of eighteen year old thing to do. Try that later, Diggers. You'll enjoy it. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> right then, Chris, what's yours? So, you know when you go to a curry house to pick up a takeaway and it's late, it always is late, and the guy comes out and he's really, really apologetic and he offers you a drink. Has that happened to you guys before? Yes. Yeah, I'm familiar yeah, with the process, yeah. Yeah, so, so it always happens in, in my one in Kent, in the local one here. Anyway, I was dreaming about that scenario last night because... It's shut at the moment during lockdown. None of the takeaways are open around here and we were dreaming of a takeaway. So anyway, I started thinking about the curry house and then I thought, ah, the last time I went there, it was late as it is and he gave me a drink. So I'll celebrate that drink on the podcast tomorrow and I'll open it up. So here it is and it's, uh, there you go. That gives you a clue. It's a bottle. What do you reckon he gave me? It's a curry house in Kent. Tiger, is it a kingfisher? That's what I was hoping you would say. And that's what I would much prefer than what he actually gave me. <laughs> he gave me a bottle of Strongbow. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it couldn't have been worse. So anyway, I never drink a bottle of Strongbow. And I, he gave it to me. And I couldn't just say, uh, sorry, mate, just put that in the bin. I took it. And I thought, well, now's the time to drink it and actually make something of it. Because otherwise, I literally would sit there for another 10 years. So anyway, here we go. Strongbow. Nothing wrong with Strongbow. Uh, there's quite a lot wrong with Strongbow, Frank. <laughs> but I think that leads me quite nicely into my drink. But there's a bit of a story that I need to tell you first. So as you, you'll know, but people listening won't know, my wife is Slovakia. And when we first got together, I went out to Slovakia for the first time. We'd been together for maybe 18 months or something like that. And I spoke not one word of Slovakian, uh, not even really hello or thank you or anything like that. And on my first night there, my girlfriend, as she was at the time, said, my aunt's going to this party tonight. Do you want to come along? I was like, yeah, whatever, go with the flow. I didn't really know what was going on most of the time. Anyway, this party was the the annual sort of jamboree for this group who are called, uh, well, the, the word is trampu, but it really means kind of outdoorsy people. And it's kind of like hiking and camping 
and sort of scouting type thing for grown-ups. Um, so we drove from hours, it seemed like, into the woods and arrived at this clearing where there were a lot of people wearing a combination of camo and sort of Wild West kind of cowboys and Indians sort of fancy dress, like check shirts and Stetson hats and sheriff's <laughs> badges and all this sort of stuff. What, what on earth is this drink going to be? Where's this going? Where's this <laughs> going? It's, it's moonshine, isn't it? Yeah. I had no idea what was going on. But basically, it's a bunch of people who like being outdoors. They've also got this kind of dressing up bit that's a bit weird. And we went, it was this kind, their kind of main campsite, I guess. And the, the kind of in the kind of Wild West thing was quite strong. Like there was a totem pole um, and uh, like a country and Western band. Um, but they built a big fire and sang a song about how much they like camping and all the rest of it. And it was quite nice. The problems arose when I realized that none of them had seen my girlfriend, wife now, um, for, you know, 10 years, basically, since she'd moved to England. And they'd all known her when she was, you know, 10 and they hadn't seen it for absolutely ages and they were all absolutely fascinated about this Englishman that she'd brought with her and all this stuff and every single one of them had made their own slivervitz which is apparently plum brandy but it might as well be rocket fuel and after the second one I said to Misha people are going to be upset if I don't want to drink their drink, aren't they? And she looked at me in the eye, square in the eye, and said, it would be really bad if you said no. <laughs> and I don't, to this day, know whether she was just screwing with me or not. But I took it to heart, and I have literally no idea how many of them I drank, except that it wasn't just plum brandy. I remember quite clearly a pear one, and a blackcurrant one, and an apple one. And I have never been so drunk in my entire life. So how much of it you had now? Well, I haven't had a lot since <laughs> then, I can tell you, because the hangover was spectacular. But when our twins were born earlier this year, uh, her aunt came over and brought as a congratulatory present a bottle of this stuff. And it's, it's all homemade. And it's, there's a tiny little written label on it that says 57%. You're in trouble, mate. <laughs> I know. Well, you'll probably sleep better tonight, George. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. So I've poured like the tiniest quantity I could pour into the bottom of a glass. And this will be the first I've had for about six or seven years of this stuff. But I, even before putting it close to my face, I can smell it and I'm a bit nervous. So I am going to drink it now. Cheers to well, you, George. Enjoy. We'll pick you off off the floor later. Has anyone else got control of the podcast? Oh, Christ, that was awful. Jesus. <laughs> Oh, actually, not quite as bad as I remember, but blimey. Oh, right. Where's my beer? You're regretting that already. Yeah, <laughs> good. Yeah, I was regretting it before I even did it. <laughs> but good news is I've got through it. So there you go. I've had Slivovitz and oh, blimey. <laughs> That's not good. Apologies to any Slovakians listening, but it's not my favourite thing yeah, at all. It sounds bloody awful. You've just insulted most of like Central and Eastern Europe. Yeah, and my wife's family. Yeah, most importantly, your wife's family. <laughs> but yeah, um, well, I won't be doing that again for a while. Crikey. Well, I'll make sure I bring some into the office when we're all, all allowed back in and you can all uh, suffer with me. Thank you for that.
Sounds like a plan. Um, actually, that's just reminded me of something, George, which a, a, another drink which we'll have to bring on to a future episode. So, oh, cryptic. Um, remind me of this. This episode of the Guns on Pegs podcast is sponsored by Basque, the British Association for Shooting and Conservation. Now, Chris, we often talk on this podcast about some of the pressures that shooting faces, whether that's shooting social license or political interference or misinformation in the media. Indeed. And this is one of those ads that doesn't really need to be an ad in order for us to say this. Basque is right at the front line of tackling these problems, but they need your support. Simply put, your community needs your help. But how can I help, I hear our listeners asking. (laughs) Easy one, George. The simplest and easiest way that you can help is by joining Basque and becoming part of an unrivaled and long-standing community of over 145,000 members who share a passion for the future of sustainable shooting conservation. Basque members enjoy a wide range of benefits and offers, including public liability insurance cover, something that every game shot should have, unlimited access to Basque's specialist firearms team, plus discounts on a wide range of products, including shooting apparel, even vehicles and complimentary admission to a range of exciting events across the UK, including the Game Fair. We are both big supporters of Basque and the work they do for shooting, aren't we, Chris? And we firmly believe that anyone who loves shooting should be a member. To become a Basque member, visit basque.org.uk slash join. Basque is registered and authorised by the Financial Conduct Authority. Back to the podcast. Time. I will. Okay, so chaps, um, I think it's time to move on now that I've recovered. Has anybody got any um, any interesting news stories that they've spotted from the shooting world in the last week or so? Yeah, a bit of positivity. I mean, people are starting to look for for Polt now who hadn't been before and there's definitely a demand there um, you know certain game farms getting in touch with other game farms saying do you have any chicks I can have um, that sort of thing so that's uh, that's good news but as of Monday six people being able to meet together outside I mean three more and we're sorted aren't we? That's a very good point <laughs> and if you're in Scotland you can have a team because you're allowed eight, you're allowed eight in Scotland aren't you? Ah uh, sorted so, sorted, yeah. on, sorted for the guns but Chris you sent me a, a great um, piece about what beaters are doing up in Yorkshire um on, on one grouse moor yeah yeah this is i mean this is extreme though isn't it so there's a there's a grouse moor that's housing not for, not for everybody but uh... yeah, it's, de- it's definitely not for everybody there's a grouse moor that's housing all their beaters uh so they're getting together in one house or in, in in the estate houses uh housing them for the season on the basis that they can then be locked down together so they can move around together and everything else just for the grouse <laughs> season uh so some the lengths that some will go to I suppose it shows how much of a big deal it is. I mean, that's that's fine until one of them gets it from going to the pub or something, <laughs> and then the entire beating teams off games for the for the foreseeable. It's a good point. I don't know. Is it actually therefore a worse idea? I suppose, but you can't really do anything else. So what people are saying at the moment is there is, is talk of a lot of walking between drives, but on some shoots that's just not possible, is it? Well, I was going to say, I mean, shoots are starting to talk about what they could could do differently if it comes to it. And uh, I think walking between drives is definitely an option. Um, guns driving around in their own cars rather, rather than gun bus, which I think is a, a real shame, but we've got to do it. Um, beaters wagons are the tough thing. Um, and that's why the walking between drives is, is important. Yeah. I mean, l- 
I spoke to a couple of shoots who said they're not going to shoot the same variety of drives that they normally do if they can't go around in the beast wagon, you know, stick and stick in one valley and um, have a longer break between drives while the beaters walk themselves up or ferry themselves to the start of the next drive. But there's always ways around it. And now the, the all important thing is the numbers of, of guns. You know, if we can get past that nine or 10 mark of people gathered outside, um, then we're going to be able to have a season, which is, which is great. And actually, even with six, um, you can always split a day in two, for example, you know, two teams of five or something like that on different oh, parts of the yeah. state. They, yeah, people, shoots will make it work now. I mean, it's really encouraging. People have so many uh, uh, sort of weird and wonderful ideas about how to do it, but we, we know we'll have a season now, which is great. There's been a bit of news your side, isn't there, Frank? Yeah, so obviously the exciting news that Game Boy have launched their new quad seal. Obviously, there's been a lot of scrutiny on, on cartridges over the last couple of months. Um and yeah, it's it's awesome to see that you know the big brands are, are moving forwards with with developing um, you know other options um, for guns out there. Yeah, I agree. I have to confess, Frank, I haven't actually I haven't actually read the article we put out on Wednesday. Can you fill me in on on uh, what it actually what exactly it does? Um, George, yeah, go on. <laughs> yeah. So, so no, Frank, you're Frank. So, Frank, Frank, you're supposed to know this. I could. I've seen the video. I, I'm, a, I'm a real. <laughs> I'm a. Te- I'm a techie geek, so I love this stuff. So, so uh, a fiber wad uh, has a lot of uh, uh, gas escaping around the wad, which affects um, the the shot string, the pattern, all sorts of stuff uh, about the performance of the cartridge. Uh, and that's why some people love plastic wads because you've got the shot cup, which obviously uh, keeps a lot of that in control. So what Game Ball have launched is a quad seal, which whereas a, a sort of standard fiber wad is effectively one seal uh, between the wad and the cylinder of the barrel, the quad seal is four. Uh, so it stops the gas escaping. So people like George Digweed have said that this potentially performs even better than plastic wads so well this is that's the key point isn't it that's the the other key point is that it's a biodegradable wad it is indeed yeah yeah it's a bite yeah sorry i thought that was um yeah <laughs> yeah the key the key yeah, aspect I thought that was taken as a given we do not talk about plastic in our office anyway so it's a it's a done thing but um yeah so it's exactly it's a biodegradable uh wad that performs with the same uh performance levels as plastic which is absolutely brilliant so it's innovation and we love innovation given that that's what we do all the time so that is actually huge news isn't it? and uh, have you uh, tried it yet or is it really really no i mean they were trying them last season we didn't manage to uh, get our hands on a batch just before the end of the season but um yeah no doubt we'll have some to to demo quite soon um it's it's really important though because there's so many guns now uh, that are sort of overboard. I mean, the variances of a 12 bore are quite large uh, between different brands. And with some guns that are kind of more designed for a clay setup, if you're using a fiber wad, you get serious differences in performance, which is why people talk about plaswads uh, being, being higher performers. But um, to be honest, there's all sorts of things that are going to affect this over the coming coming years and um i think it's just great that they've done it and obviously we're going to see loads more developments going on with everything talking about lead and steel and stuff like that so at present i think the plasma's only available in the um uh in black gold isn't it uh that particular you mean the uh the, the quad seal the quad the quad is quad steel what did i say <laughs> the, the pla- you're, you're getting very confused mate. Uh, well it's just, yeah that's it's slim of it's gone to your head <laughs> 
Yeah, don't you have sliver bits before shooting, mate? Um, <laughs> Believe me, I don't need it, it, it. It's called the quad seal. Uh, yeah. I can't help but get quad wad <laughs> out of my head. It's exciting, though. Yeah, I think, uh, and I, from what I understand, there's more sort of to come out from that. You know, more news and information, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's a bit of a watch this space. George, what? Yeah, what cartridge? Uh, which cartridge type did you say it was in? Did you say it was only in black gold? Black gold, and I think at the moment it's only lead. But I imagine that the idea the idea will be that um, that there'll be a, a steel version as well. But I guess we'll have to wait and see what develops there. It's definitely lead at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously the recent announcement is uh, is is way after uh, these guys. Game Boy started planning this. I know that they've been in talks this quite a long time. I thought it was actually in. Um, just sorry, Chris. I just on George's point. I've got a feeling it's Dark Storm that it's in, but I may be wrong. I think you might be right. Actually. I just wanted to point that out to show that I did. I had actually watched the video, um, and I do know what I do know about it. I just didn't <laughs> want to speak out of turn in terms of the technical uh, ability of it. Anyway, it's quite good to have news to talk about, though, isn't it? I mean, that's that. That I was quite excited to see that. I was thinking, oh, a bit of lockdown news. It is. There's some more good news from your side as well, Frank, isn't there? Because the um the shops are going to be able to open again. Yeah, I think with the ground slowly opening with social distancing rules in place um, and the shops opening as well, um, you know, a lot of the brands that we work with will be able to, you know, hopefully get out, um, get selling to the retailers again. The retailers will be able to sell again. Um, I'm not too sure how many tweed coats would be sold today anyway, given how hot it is in the room I'm in. But um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it is good news. It's positive. Um, the, the grounds is an interesting one, isn't it? Because uh, they've had obviously quite a few of them have managed to do loads of improvements during this time um, by just getting people out on the ground uh, at distance working. I see that EJ Churchill seemed to have done absolutely tons. It looks quite cool. Yeah, they, they seem to have implemented this. Did you see that, Chris? This system they've implemented, I think, basically. The claymate That's system. That's it, yeah. Chromatic. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it is very cool. Um and it's great, obviously, those larger guys getting open and being able to do that. I guess it's the the small, uh, you know, smaller teams of of um, of people on the smaller grounds, which I, you know, you hope can can um, get open at some point and it can work for them. Not yeah. long, we'll be out there. <laughs> but um, talking of improvements, since you were last on the podcast, Digby, you've been hard at work, haven't you, down in Cornwall? Oh yes, the old uh, the old flight pond. Well, being stuck in um, on my parents' farm in in Cornwall been put to work by my father but he ma- he gave me a weekend off to um to get the a digger in and dig a flight pond to have a bit of fun when the season comes around um so got one of those little mini diggers in um took it down the hill and we're, we're based in a valley so there's a river that runs or a stream that runs right up the center of it and you see these ducks flighting over every evening um and uh, and we thought well if we dig a bit of a pond and start feeding it hopefully draw draw a few of those in for the winter and and um have a few fun evenings together um had a weekend working flat out my father said we could would hire a digger for a weekend or he'd pay for it to be hired for a weekend which is for you know 48 hours and me and my brother did shifts um from 6 a.m till 10 p.m to make sure we got the absolute most out of it and the pond was as big as we possibly could in the time allowed um very hard working weekend but we've got it done and it's uh, it's now one of them dug two actually one of them is pretty much full up um and looking really good bit of pond weed growing already have you had any ducks land yet um, uh, i haven't been checking in the evening i haven't haven't had a look um i doubt it i mean they're still sort of mud pits what ducks do you get in your area digby uh mainly mallard they're the ones that i see flighting over every evening we're based in cornwall so you, you know we're not renowned for our um wildfowl 
There's going to be people angry about that. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of shoots, a couple of shoots local to us have um, flight ponds. They get in a few teal and that sort of stuff. So, and what about um, other species like which could benefit? Have you, you know, from your area, from a conservation point of view? Yeah, I, we've got a huge number of toads and frogs and and things like that. And um, when when we were digging it, I had a little wander in to the to the stream in the wood just beside it and just saw. Um, some of those little, little splashes by the rivers, um, river and, and saw just tons of frog spawn. So um, I've seen a toad already made its way into the into the pond, um, which is one of the ponds, which is great. We've left the vegetation. There's a, a nice tree um, in the middle of one. So left a little island for, um, which provides a little bit of shelter. Um, tried to make the edge of the pond as, as um, or make the, the edge as big as possible. So not a uniform square, or a circle, but lots of sort of little tiny little bays and that sort of stuff, which provides more habitat for pond life to start um, growing and uh, transplanted a few bulrushes. Um, I think it's going to going to look quite good. At wait and see exactly what comes in, but um, water shrews and that sort of thing. We fenced off the area around it from the cattle, so um, they can't graze it. Um, and that uh, margin around the edge of a pond, the GWCT say, will be will encourage the water shrews to to turn up in numbers, which is is this going to be ready for uh, a team evening flight come November? <laughs> You're welcome to come down and, and have a crack. I mean, it's a um, long way, but I'm up yeah. for it. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a, they're, they're tiny ponds. Like you really have to call them splashes. I was going to ask how big they are. Is it big enough to put a couple of trout in? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think it is. Which is, I've got great plans for the for the valley, and there's one particular of these ponds which is dug in the middle of a really marshy area. You could take out fifty percent of the marshy area and have a pond about the size of you know, uh, half an acre, three quarters of an acre um, with a big island in the middle. You could definitely stock that, but it takes up too much of my father's grazing. So um, he needs to be <laughs> one round. I think a couple of evenings in the in the flighting ducks will uh, will soon do that, though. So that's encouraging. Very, very lucky position to be in, Digby. I reckon um, it'd be good to keep in touch on that. Like you should probably put that on your Instagram or something as you start seeing things come in. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've actually, um, it's part, I've made a video oh, cool. um, of the process talking about location, um, where we're going to dig it, how deep, what the profile is going to be like, that sort of thing. Um, and I think we're going to awesome. publish it at some point. Brilliant. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely keep you all updated. Cool. So that leads us quite nicely into the other thing that we wanted to talk about today, which is obviously uh, a lot of shoots or a significant proportion of shoots anyway, are, are mothballing for the season and some shoots are running fewer days, which inevitably means there's going to be a lot of guns looking for a new home effectively or looking for, for something to replace uh, their shooting because uh, the shoot that they normally go to isn't happening. Uh, so I thought we'd have a bit of a chat about um, alternatives uh, that people could look into for the coming season. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned a new home. If it's a new home guns are looking for, I, mean, I know this is a bit of a, a self-plug, um, but we've just got absolutely tons of availability from shoots we've never had advertising before on guns on pegs, which is really exciting. Um, you know, sort of bucket list shoot, shoots with uh, which would have previously been dead man shoes as their international clients have um, have cancelled and that sort of thing. Um, they have come onto Guns on Pegs. They've got availability. So check out some of the new opportunities, as well as our um, peg match um, feature, uh, which is an invention of Chris's. Chris 
you you were talking about that. We were chatting about how um, useful it's been for a few people earlier. Yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty simple. It's a, it's a sort of reversal of the whole system. So where Guns on Peg started, it was all, all about um, sending inquiries through to shoots. Uh, and we thought, right, well, we've got such a big shoot database of like 6,000, I think now diggers, uh, 6,000 shoots, but only 1,200 of them are actually public on the website. So there's 4,800 shoots, which people could get through to so what we did was create a little system where you put in what you're looking for and because of the data we have on those registered shoots that aren't public will alert anyone that might be able to uh, help with what it is that you're looking for and that could be up to six thousand shoots uh, so it's been really successful and obviously now there's a lot of shoots in the sort of background that are being quiet they know that we've got they've got availability but they're not necessarily publicizing that as yet so the, that's where peg match comes in it's there's certainly a lot of people taking that up at the moment yeah but george you mentioned um you mentioned sort of new home or other activities if if there's is going to be a shortage of shooting which there may be i saw a, a classified i think it was a couple of days ago about a falconer looking for new land to um to fly his uh, his birds over which i thought was quite interesting it would be an interesting um hobby to take up if you're not able to go out on a driven yeah. driven day frank you oh. you know a thing or two about it don't you well no um, <laughs> <laughs> i can tell by the tone of voice that that there's a thought there <laughs> uh, well so i have been out with a falcon at the age of about 10 um at that age, I hadn't a clue what it was, what species it was. Um, and I'm, I'm 100% certain we didn't get anything. We just got very cold. Um, <laughs> but several years ago now, my my mum bought myself, uncle, dad and brother um, a, 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 the most epic present, which was a day out with a, uh, with a guy and his eagle, um, his golden eagle, uh, hunting brown hares. Um, which to me sounds like the most exciting thing in the world ever. Um, and I was desperately, desperately excited to go on this. And, and about two months, well, it was a couple of years ago now. It could have been two weeks, but I think it was about two months prior to the day uh, he called up. And the most desperately upsetting thing, his his eagle had been bitten by a fox. Um, it got infected and subsequently passed away, which, um, you know, to people that put the amount of care and attention you have to with birds of prey frank was this in suffer yes uh, i heard yeah. a story a couple of years ago about a golden eagle bought for the hunt uh obviously to right. to kill the fox uh because of obviously the hunting rules uh and um yeah it got clobbered uh by the fox uh, during during, oh, well, uh, during the hunt and that was in Suffolk so they, there can't be many golden eagles being clobbered by foxes in Suffolk <laughs> um, yeah I don't know but what was even more ridiculous is I know that it cost £5,000 for the golden eagle and so they bought another one and that one got killed by a fox too the upsetting thing about it is the amount of like care and attention yeah, agree, and the amount yeah. of kind of you know it's uh, they're so close with them um, but there's an absolutely it, it, epic documentary about it on on uh, television about the, some um, I think it was Russian tribe or something like or group of people who um who use golden eagles to hunt mongolians are yeah. Mongolian, that was, <laughs> oh, absolutely unbelievable your geography's really? never been very good digby considering you have shoot owners all around the country that you talk to on a daily basis no, he's, you're good at and, counties uh, diggers that's what matters counties not countries oh well i've got good at, got good at counties <laughs> <laughs> right so if your shoot's been mothballed uh, i think my advice is try something different so falconry is a great place to start if you can find it i mean it's a little bit niche it's not something we really specialize in but, <laughs> but uh, definitely try something different so in in the line of trying something different what should we suggest 
suggest. So I suppose it, it really depends on what you do currently. I think that my advice would be simply just do the opposite of what you currently do and try and get the team to, a team together to, uh, to to give it a whirl and see how you get on. Yeah, I think that's a really good bit of advice. And like, there's other things as well. Like, you know, we, we always say that the thing about shooting is it's not so much the shooting as the, the atmosphere and the, the day out and being with your buddies and all that kind of thing. Um, and sort of picking up a bit on what we said last time, you know, why not uh, volunteer to beat at your local shoot uh, for the syndicate? You know, a lot of shoots are going to be struggling for beaters this year because a lot of beaters are of the older persuasion um, and may well still have to be um, shielding, as I think the term is. So um, and, and I know that a lot of local shoots um, will bite your hand off if you offer to go and beat. Um, so that could be a nice way out. If you've got a gun dog, you could offer to go and pick up. Uh, at a local syndicate, that kind of thing. Um, I think that'd be a nice alternative. Cool. Getting out with a gun dog right now would be amazing. <laughs> just the opportunity, wouldn't it? <laughs> to be able to stand behind the line and just actually enjoy it. Frank, you don't do a great deal yeah. of driven shooting. So what would what would you, what would be sort of top of your list to suggest to somebody to go and try? Yeah, um, well, firstly, just to anyone listening out there, I, it's not that I don't enjoy driven shooting. Um, and I will send my dates out or read them out at a later date. When I'm <laughs> Um, but yeah no i mean obviously speaking to uh, some local shoots around here they're they're putting on walked up days which me and uh, our sort of roving syndicate as it were or roving team do quite a bit of um so there's always the walked up option i would always recommend wildfowling although it's certainly not for the faint-hearted it's if you if you don't mind sitting in the cold and wet uh, and the mud for hours on end without seeing anything, but you might get something. Then it, it's it's definitely for you if 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 that's the if that sounds like paradise. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen I've seen a lot of deer stalking syndicates. Yeah, deer's a bit busy, isn't it? Yeah, it, like there's a lot of deer stalking yeah. syndicates, sort of suggesting you know X amount, not not a lot of money, sort of seven hundred fifty quid or something like that for the whole season. And then access, and that mm. included. I saw one diggers. I don't know if you remember who this was from, but it was it included a bunch of rough days with the syndicate, but then deer stalking access for the season as well. Did you see that? It looked quite fun. Yeah, Bob Lynn's uh, syndicate is quite cool. Actually, he's got shoot, uh, stalking and all, all rights all over the country. I think you just sign up, and you then got permission to go and uh, stalk in those different places. And he and he throws in a few days walked up. See, something like that's virtually no risk right now as well. So you know that you can part with your money, you're going to get exactly what you want for this coming season, like, even no matter really what happens. Yeah, it's cool. I had a, had a, a big discount for premium members as well, I think. Cool. That's good. Picking up on Frank's wildfowling thing, and it's um, I would like to solicit from the listeners solutions to a problem that I have here in London, which is that I can't quite tell, but I think <laughs> they are Egyptian geese <laughs> who uh, started um, hanging out very early in the morning, earlier even than my four-month-old twins wake up. They sit on a, a an old pier situation just outside my flat on the Thames and honk a lot, very loudly, very early in the morning. George, let's put this up as a uh, a sort of syndicate opportunity, create eight people to nail the Egyptians in the Thames. Well, this is the problem I have. If I was in the countryside, I would have no qualms about going and... Uh, going and, and you need to clarify that statement with geese after oh, Egyptians. Yeah. Egyptian. <laughs> yeah. And also do, certainly not condoning getting a, a any sort of firearm out. In, in, in the middle of London? I'm pretty sure they're not in season either. That, so That's not allowed, is it? That's no, such a shame. I, I don't think so. I think the Met take a, a think... dim view of firearms <laughs> in London. I'm not that keen to have a visit. 
But if anybody's got any bright ideas about what I can do <laughs> to get rid of these buggers, then I'm very, very keen to right. hear them. What have you tried? Uh, chucking stones off my balcony, which has been okay. singularly <laughs> unsuccessful. <laughs> not least because they're about 100 yards away, so I've not quite got the distance. What about getting your uh, your um, sort of 15-foot salmon rod out? <laughs> I'm sure you can cast 100 yards. Well, I've got, I've got good elevation. I'm on the 10th floor. So I reckon I probably could. That might work. I'd need quite a, yeah, I'd need a heavy fly. And just put a lead weight on the end. Or get a spinning rod. That's a good idea. I might end up with a very angry goose on the end. No, I think I, I think you've gone down the wrong route. I think we need to be talking uh how about like sort of uh I don't know, you need you need a catapult, definitely, filled with something. I think most things that we've just spoken about over the last two minutes have been illegal. <laughs> um I'm not the fish. Probably writing to the council <laughs> would be the first that uh, port of We're court. not unfamiliar with illegality on this podcast. We had Tim Maddams suggesting people go and poison their grandmother and uh, other elderly relatives. So, you know, it's um, part of the course, really. But yeah, yes, obviously, obviously we're joking. Uh, it... We need some heavy discussion. <laughs> <here. laughs> I think at the end of this podcast, George should just speak really quickly uh, and then that should be... <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> You know they don't speak that quickly. They just speed it up. No, no. I... <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I know that. But <laughs> I think, actually, well, in that vein, though, we should just make George speak really quickly. Let's, let's... But honestly, in, in all seriousness, they have got to go. The quality of content on Guns on Pegs and the articles that we get a lot of wonderful feedback on are going to diminish if yeah. these geese don't go. That's the way we've got to look at it. They've got to go. Because you're not going to get your sleep you need. And therefore, therefore, people aren't going to find opportunities they need to go shooting. So this is just it's one big vicious circle. Yeah, I do. I would actually be quite interested to hear if anybody has any serious thoughts and legal ones. Yeah, keep them, yeah, keep yeah, them yeah. legal. It's almost like I'm a lawyer <laughs> trying to keep things together. Huh? <laughs> it's a minefield. Well, look, send them through the team at gunsonpegs.com. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, or leave a comment below on the on the page. Um, so yeah, I think guys, um, that's probably a pretty good place to, to stop in case we say anything more incriminating. Yeah. I think that, that those drinks are having an effect. Right. Well, thanks very much guys. Um, have a good weekend to everyone listening. Thanks very much for coming along once again. Uh, we'll be back again soon with another podcast in the meantime, if you don't already go and follow us on Facebook, sign up to our newsletter, follow us on Instagram at guns on pegs and until next time, goodbye. <laughs> Guns on Pegs does not condone trying to poison your grandmother, using firearms in a built-up area, or the illegal killing of geese. Thanks for listening all the way to the end of the Guns on Pegs podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please do go and leave a review, hit that follow button, and of course, tell all your friends. See you next time.